Here she comes, ladies and gentlemen, the Bromo Seltzer Special. Bringing you radio's most thrilling mystery drama, The Adventures of Valerie Queen. of Bromo Seltzer bring you another thrilling adventure with Ellery Queen, the celebrated gentleman detective in person. Ellery Queen invites you to match wits with him as he relates another story of a crime he alone unravels. Before revealing the solution, he stops the play, gives you a chance to solve the mystery. Our guest armchair detectives for this evening are Miss Genevieve Bean, a member of the United States Cadet Nurse Corps, and Mr. Peter Cusack, Executive Secretary of the National Foundation for Infantile Paralysis. And now, Ellery Queen. Master Detective, and your host for the next half hour. Thank you, Ernest Chappell, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Well, I think tonight's mystery will keep you guessing. It's about a strange chain of anonymous letters. I call it The Adventure of the Mischief Maker. Hubert. Hubert. Yes, my dear? Put that newspaper down and finish your breakfast. Hmm? Oh, yes, yes, of course, yes. Bloat was jolly good this morning. <laughs> my dear, for an American, you really perform miracles with a bloater. For an American? Hubert Lester, you've been in this country long enough to stop being so patronizing. Now, now, pet, I wasn't being anything of the sort. I suppose I ought to get down on my knees to you because you deigned to marry an American girl. <laughs> I wouldn't put it that way. Married four months. Already you're reading newspapers at my breakfast table. But, darling, I was merely looking up the situation in tea. When Sir Eustace sent me here from London to take charge of the New York branch of Spofford Tea Limited, he, he said to me, Lester old chap, you Looking up me... the situation in tea, were you? Mm-hmm. You were looking up that movie star's photo, that's what. That hussy with the legs. My love, I just happened to glance at it in passing. Seems to me you, you just happened to glance at an awful lot of females, Hubert, since we've been married. Oh, what utter nonsense, my dear. And even if I wanted to, which is rot, of course, you know I couldn't risk the scandal, my dear. I, I'd be given a sack, you know. So you just won't brook the least breath of scandal. What about you and your secretary? Me and my secretary? <laughs> that spindle shanks very beaten antique, my dear. <laughs> now, really, Well, please. maybe I'm wrong. Eat your bloater, dear. <laughs> of course, darling. Oh, by the way, uh, what was that letter that arrived in the morning post for you? This letter, addressed to Mrs. Hubert Lester, 230 Hatton Avenue, New York City. Well, whoever wrote it certainly ought to fix his typewriter. Broken letters out of line, some all smudgy. Well, who's it from, Pet? Let's see. Mrs. Lester, your husband, Hubert, is... I knew it. Huh? I knew it. Hubert, this proves it. Proves it? Pro proves what? You it? snake. You worm, you... I, I don't Here, let me see that. Your husband is in love with his secretary. He's leading a double life. Signed, a friend. But, but I, I mean to then say that... Jay, whether they... But, my love, you don't put credence in doctors who don't even sign their name. I scarcely know what my secretary looks like. Oh, I'll bear. Now, darling, I give you my sacred word. Your sacred word. Out of my way, you... you there. But, but, Pet, where are you going? I'm going to Reno. Two-time a respectable American girl, will you? Well, Hubert Lester, I'll get a divorce from you so fast that precious Sir Eustace of yours will think his New York representative was tarred and feathered and boiled in oil. And Mr. 
Mr. Plunkett to meet my son, the secretary, Nicky Porter. How do you do? Mr. Plunkett came here to headquarters just this morning, Henry. He's back this morning for a report. A report on what, Dad? <laughs> my son's a sucker for screwy cases, Mr. Plunkett. Tell him. Well, Mr. Queen, it's sure a lulu. Here, read this letter that come yesterday morning. Uh, read it, Nicky, aloud. Hmm. Goodness, what a bad machine this was typed on. Broken letters, dirty, out of line. Never mind the typing, Miss Porter. Just read it. Hmm. Addressed to the president of the West Side Bank, 315 Hatton Avenue, New York. It says, Dear Sir, the rent collector for your bank, Ethan A. Plunkett, is a thief. You're stealing rent money on properties the bank owns. Signed a friend. You're the Ethan A. Plunkett this anonymous letter refers to? That's me, Mr. Queen. Well, I'm sure the president of the bank you work for doesn't believe this charge, Mr. Plunkett. He don't, Miss Porter, seeing he's me. He's you. <laughs> Mr. Plunkett's only been posing as the realty representative of the Westside Bank, Nicky. Secretly, Mr. Plunkett's the president. Owns the bank, lock, stock, and barrel, and all its properties. Protective coloration, Mr. Queen. I got a slew of hungry relatives. If they knew I owned a bank, they'd make a pauper of me in no time. But, Ellery, if Mr. Plunkett owns the bank, how could he be stealing rent money from the bank? Well, obviously, the writer of this letter didn't know Mr. Plunkett owns the bank. Just tried to get him into trouble. Some kind. That isn't our son. Feeding. Yes, Come in here. You see, one of the properties Mr. Plunkett owns is a five-family brownstone in the west side. I live there myself, Mr. Queen. Oh, Vinnie. Yes, Tell everybody what you found out at Mr. Plunkett's house. Oh, that cock I kiss. You see, Maestro, the inspector sent me over to 230 Hatton Avenue yesterday to see if anybody else living there got one of these letters signed A. Friend. Someone else got one, Sergeant? Yep. One of Mr. Plunkett's tenants and neighbors there is people named Lester. Mrs. Lester's hitched to this Hubert Lester, a British who's been in this country around six months. The playboy type. I mean, he'd like to be. I know. A friend wrote Mrs. Lester that hubby's being untrue to her. And the nose, Nicky. So Mrs. Lester packed up, and now she's heading for Reno. Hi, family house. Hmm? Uh, Mr. Plunkett, who are the other tenants at 230 Hatton Avenue? Well, there's Miss Bertha Lamb, an old maid. And a bachelor named Hodge, Lewis Hodge. And a family named Drayton, husband, wife, and 15-year-old daughter. Drayton's a psychiatrist. Mr. Plunkett, Mr. and Mrs. Hubert Lester, Miss Bertha Lamb, spinster, Mr. Lewis Hodge, bachelor, and Dr. Drayton and family. I've got it all down, Ellis. Fine, Nicky. Mr. Plunkett, does anyone in the house bear a grudge against you and the Lesters? Mighty funny you ask that, Mr. Queen. My janitor there, Joe's a big sorehead. Pretty tough egg, Joe. Born on Hester Street in New York here. He'd have been a gangster, I guess, if he'd had more brains. What's Joe sorry about, Mr. Plunkett? Well, seems like Joe didn't get Christmas presents uh, enough from most of the tenants, including me. I, uh, <laughs> it slipped my mind. <laughs> so Joe sends anonymous letters? It's hardly a laughing matter, Nicky. One of these letters has already separated a husband and wife. Yes. Anonymous letters have done a lot of mischief in this world. They've even caused death, Dad. I think we'll look into this, and we'll begin by asking Dr. Drayton, Miss Lamb, and Mr. Hodge if they've received letters from the mischief maker who signs himself a friend. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you have the beginning of our mystery. We'll be back in just a moment to tell you more. But first, Ernest Chappell. Oh, for the life of a fireman. Bells clanging, men sliding down poles, fire trucks racing through traffic. <laughs> Nothing but thrills and excitement. Oh, but that's not the way Mr. Thomas Byrne of Elmhurst, Long Island tells it. He writes, we're caught out on the average of twice every day. Some of the fires don't amount to much, but when we get in on a real blaze, then I've got to be quick on the trigger, ready for anything. 
Besides working under a nervous strain, there are the discomforts of going through heavy smoke and fumes and getting drenched by water from the hoses. Sometimes, after a session like that, I've got a pounding headache. My stomach feels upset and my nerves are on edge. But I can count on Bromo Seltzer to help me feel better fast. A great many of us down at the firehouse keep a bottle of Bromo Seltzer in our lockers all the time. And that's a mighty good idea for everybody. So, friends, tomorrow, get a bottle of Bromo Seltzer for your medicine chest. Then the next time you're suffering from a common sick headache, uh, you'll know where to go for quick, effective relief. And now back to our story. An hour later, the Queens, Nikki, and Sergeant Beely are standing before an apartment door at 230 Hatton Avenue, New York City. Inspector Queen has rung the bell marked B.V. Drayton, M.D. Suddenly. Yes, Dr. Drayton? Yes? May we see you a moment privately? All four of you? Oh, I'm pretty busy. Please. Oh. Well, come in. Well, sit down, please. Thank, Thank you, Dr. Knight. Now, what's the matter? Dr. Drayton, we're investigating a slight case of anonymous letter writers. Anonymous letter... Oh. Two people living in this house got anonymous letters yesterday morning. Did you receive such a letter, Dr. Drayton? I... Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. Let's see it, Doctor. Very well. Here. Mm-hmm. Same broken type, the line, smudgy. Typed on the same machine as the other two. Dr. Drayton, your 15-year-old daughter, Sissy, is in serious danger. Take a tip from a friend... Dr. Drayton, why didn't you report this to the police? Your own daughter in danger. Nonsense. My wife was frightened, too, but as a psychiatrist, I'm quite familiar with anonymous letter writing. Really, Doctor? You mean it's a psychopathic manifestation? Very often. We call it anonymous graphomania. It's a form of hysteria. Not a crime or a prank, but an illness. The writer of this letter is probably a neurotic, maladjusted, emotionally unstable individual whom it would be criminal to prosecute. Well, I've handled lots of them. Very interesting, Dr. Drayton. Haven't you found that anonymous letter writers are often of a certain type, age, and sex? Well, yes. What type, Mary? I'm sure Dr. Drayton's more competent to explain. If it's a case of true anonymous graphomania, why, the writer is often an adolescent. Of which sex, Doctor? I... Female. Neurotic, adolescent, female. <laughs> Why is it that every time something bad happens, men blame women? I'll bet just as many nasty boys... Nicky, like... uh, doctor, we'll keep this letter, if we may. I'd prefer... Yes, of course. Good day, Dr. Drayton. Uh, good day. Thanks, Doc. Good day. Sorry. You know what I think? I'm uh, not yet, uh, Sergeant. So that's letter number three. Dad, let's call Miss Bertha Lamb, spinster and see if she's got number four. Miss Lamb. Go on, Innie. Here, madam, keep that door open. We're from police headquarters. I bought a ticket to the policeman's ball. We're not selling anything, Miss Lamb. You let us come into your apartment for a few minutes, madam. I will not. How do I know you're a policeman? What's this painted girl doing with you? Painted Why not? Oh, oh, Nicky. Uh, Sergeant, show Miss Lamb your shield. Here. If you want to see the inspectors, his is gold. Satisfied? Well, come in. What do you want? 
Have you received an anonymous letter, Miss Lamb? Anonymous letter? I should say not. Hmm. Three of your neighbors have received such letters, Miss Lamb. Hmm. Well, considered my neighbors, I'm not surprised. You take the Lester's, that Englishman, and his vulgar American wife. She's a nasty woman. And as for her husband, you just let me catch Mr. Hubert Lester making eyes at me. At you, Miss Lamb? Well, he better not. I have the blood of American pioneers in my veins. Uh, what about Mr. Punkett? That awful gang rent collector. He lives in one of the apartments, so you'd think he'd see to it my bathroom plumbing fix. But not Ethan Plunkett. Why, from the way he won't spend their money, you'd think he owns the bank. Yeah, wouldn't you? And Dr. Drayton and his family, Miss Lamb. Oh, horrible people. Mrs. Drayton's an absolute pill. Comes from the Midwest somewhere. Always knocking New York. And Dr. Drayton, they're both from the same hometown. Why, he ought to be rolling pills back where he comes from. And nosy. I don't know how many times he's asked me about my dreams. I could tell him your dreams, Lammy Pie. Painted girl. Uh, Miss Lamb. That 15-year-old daughter of theirs sitting. If ever I saw goon in my life, that child is one. Absolutely weird. Very homely. Wears thick glasses, stays home all the time, reading nasty books. I tell you, that girl gives me the shivers. What you do you give her? And Miss Lamb. The only person in this entire house that to be a decent person's neighbor is that grand Mr. Hodge. So nice. A bachelor, you know, keeps to himself, poor man. So shy. Uh, thanks, you know, I've uh, often wondered uh, why... Well, thanks, Miss Lamb. Uh, we've got to be going. But let me tell you about Mr. Hodge. He never throws wild parties. Let's go for Pete's sake. He's a perfect gentleman, so I know that he would... Well, Miss Bertha Lamb didn't get a letter. Hmm? Interesting. Let's see if her dear Mr. Hodge did. Bring Hodge's bell again, Henry. Right there. Oh, where'd you send Sergeant Beeler? Downstairs, Professor Joe the janitor. Where is this Hodge, anyway? Not home. We'll have to come back later, Dad. And I tell you, they ain't gonna. Give me that. Clark, don't get tough, Joe. Hey, folks, look what I found. Really, what are you doing with that typewriter? Whose is it? Where'd you find it, Sergeant? In a trash bin in the basement when I went down to get this tough mug janitor. I almost passed it up as a piece of junk. Certainly an old baby, Ellery. Think that's the typewriter? No doubt about it, Nicky. This is the machine used to type those anonymous letters. Yes, I do. Characters out of line. How did the typewriter come to be in your basement, Miss House? And who are you, Grandpa? Oh, wise guy. Hey! Come I don't know. I've never seen it before. Yes, you do. Joe, did you receive an anonymous letter yesterday morning? What's that? A letter with no name, just signed a friend. I don't get no letters. I'm just the janitor. You're just smart enough to play dumb. Joe, yeah? how'd you make out this Christmas? I'll bet you got oodles of presents from people in the house. Yeah. Presents? Nah, they're all tightwads. That bird of lamb's ain't. she give me two bucks, but not another dime from nobody else. Be a good janitor. Work like a horse. Comes Christmas time? Nothing. Uh, I got a good mind up to collect that garbage. Yes, where did you achieve, Joe? Billy, send this typewriter downtown to be fired. Let's go to some restaurant around here where we can have some lunch and talk this pesky case over. Oh, here's Sergeant Billy back. Phone headquarters, Sergeant. What's your report, Billy? That's like Ellery figured, Inspector. The boys didn't dig up a single other letter signed A friend anywhere else in the neighborhood. And now let me eat, would you? So only the tenants of 230 Hatton Avenue got anonymous letters. Well, son, with the typewriter found in the basement of the house where the writer tried to dispose of it, and the basement being accessible only to the tenants... Yes, Dad, it means that the letter writer is one of the tenants of 230 Hatton Avenue. Think that somebody go to all that trouble just maliciously to make mischief. Well, how do we know? Maybe he's only making it look like crank stuff. To hide some other motive? 
Could be, really. Oh, say, there's Mr. Plunkett just walking in. Uh, Mr. Plunkett. Eh? Oh. Hi, folks. Uh, Hi. Just come in for some lunch. My bank's just on the next block, you know. Well, find out who's writing those letters, Inspector. We're still working on it, Mr. Plunkett. We haven't even been able to see all your tenants at 230 Hatton Avenue. Lewis Hodge didn't answer our ring. Uh, what do you know about Hodge, Mr. Plunkett? Nice fellow, Mr. Queen. Quiet, minds his own business. I wish all my tenants was like that fellow Hodge. I wonder if he got one of those letters. Hodge? Of course he did. You did? He did? Oh, is that so? Didn't I mention it? Thought I did. Must be getting old. How do you know Hodge got one of the letters, Mr. Plunkett? Because I saw it in his letterbox yesterday morning with my own eyes, Inspector. Couldn't mistake that typewriting. Same's on the envelope I got. Then, of course, you don't know what it said, Mr. Plunkett. What's Lewis Hodge do for a living? Nothing right now. Fact is, he's behind in his rent. Only last week I said to him, Mr. Hodge, I ain't a man to kick a fellow when he's down. Good Lord. Harry, what'd you jump up for? What's the matter, son? Hodge out of work, behind his rent, facing eviction, and received one of those mischief-making letters yesterday morning. Come on, Mr. Plunkett. We've got to get into Hodge's apartment at once. Mr. Hodge still doesn't answer. Better unlock his door, Mr. Plunkett. But I didn't tell him nothing about evicting him. Had to jog him up, didn't I? Confound it. Can't seem to... Uh, Sergeant, unlock the door. Take the key from Mr. Plunkett. Sure. Nicky, you and Mr. Plunkett better stay out in the hall till we take a look. There right, we are. Doctor, we'll be right out here. Living room. Empty. That letter on the table. Looks like one of the same crop. It is. Typed on that old wreck of a machine. To Lewis Hodge, this address. Mr. Hodge. The cops are watching you. You can't get away. Signed, a friend. Some friend. Where is Hodge, anyway? That door over there. Must be his bedroom. Uh, it's locked. We'd better force it there. On right, one side, gents. Again? There he is. On the bed. Dead. For at least 24 hours, I'd say. Shot through the left temple. Gun still in his hand. Windows and doors locked from the inside. So it can't be anything but suicide. That blasted letter drove Hodge to suicide. Yes. At last, our friend, the mischief maker... It's caused the death. Harry. What's up, Dad? Taken us two days, but we finally identified Lewis Hodge. Identified him? Well, who was he? An escaped convict serving a life sentence for murder. Born in Cincinnati and was doing his stretching in an Ohio pen when he managed to make a break. He's been holding up in New York. Yeah, his real name was James Lewis Hodgkiss. Escaped convict. Hmm. No wonder Mr. Hodge was such a model tenant. Yes, he must have been at the end of his rope. Broke, afraid he might be recognized and sent back to prison. Hodgkiss undoubtedly lived in constant fear. That anonymous letter saying the police were watching him broke his nerve and he took the easy way out. But how did the letter writer know who he was? We probably never know, Nicky. May have recognized him from having seen his photo somewhere. Or it might have been a complete shot in the dark. Anyway, we're back where we started from. Who sent the letter that drove Hodge to suicide? Who wrote to Mrs. Lester and broke up her marriage? Who wrote Dr. Drayton and his 15-year-old daughter was in danger? Who wrote old man Plunkett trying to get him in trouble with the bank? A friend, Sergeant. Uh, I think it's hopeless. Dad, have you got those letters on file here? Here, son. Here. They're the envelopes, too, Dad. Oh, thanks. Well, what are you looking them over again for, son? He's examined them all before, Elder. Oh, I ought to have my eyes examined. What do you mean? Right. Here it was all this time, and I didn't see it. Didn't see what, Maestro? Look at these four envelopes. 
Don't you see there's one thing all four addresses have in common? Say, what thing, sir? A clue. A clue in the addresses. The same clue. In the addresses? Well, the one to Mr. Plunkett's address to the bank. The ones to Mrs. Lester, Dr. Drayton, and Lewis Hodge are addressed to the apartment house. The addresses are all correct, Ellen. Wait. There's one erasure on each envelope. Right, Dad. And in the same place in each case. Where? Say, that's right. Some typewriter character. One character has been erased just after the house number on each envelope. Between the house number and the name of the street. I wonder what was erased. Can't make it out, son, can you? No, Dad, but I know what was erased just the same. Yes, and that tells me the identity of the mischief maker who wrote these anonymous letters. Ladies and gentlemen, you have the mystery. Have you figured it out yet? Well, suppose you compare solutions with our guest armchair detectives. Nikki, will you please introduce our guest? Well, Ellery, our first guest tonight is Miss Genevieve Bean, a nurse in training at New York St. Vincent's Hospital with the United States Cadet Nurse Corps. Our second guest is Mr. Peter Cusack, Executive Secretary of the National Foundation for Infantile Paralysis. Miss Bean, after you've completed your cadet nurse training... You become a nurse in the armed forces? Well, Nikki, either that or a nurse in public service on the home front. We can select any branch of nursing, military or home front, as long as it's essential. The Cadet Nurse Corps is quite a plan, isn't it, Miss Bean? Yes, Ellery, and I think it's a wonderful opportunity for me. I get a lifetime education free. How right you are. Well, Mr. Cusack, how's the March of Dimes going? Think you'll reach your goal this year? Well, frankly, Ellery, we don't set a goal. You see, our work in combating infantile paralysis is so vital to the welfare of American children that we can use every dime and dollar. It's a never-ending fight, isn't it? Yes, but one of these days we're going to wipe out the dread disease. And that day can't come too soon. But now, let's solve our mystery. Miss Bean, who wrote the anonymous letter? I think Dr. Drayton. And why do you think so? Well, because he hesitated so much in answering the questions and he didn't report his letters to the police force as the others did. Thank you, Miss Bean. Now, Mr. Cusack, who do you think wrote the anonymous letter? I think it was Dr. Drayton's daughter, Mr. Queen, uh, who was described by Miss uh, Lamb as being very weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, why do you think that? Well, Miss Lamb said that she stayed home all the time uh, reading uh, strange books. And I think she probably found access to her father's uh, scientific uh, books and that uh, her imagination started to work. Thank you, Mr. Cusack and Miss B. You'll find in just a moment whether you've solved our mystery correctly. And now, Ernest Chappell. Friends, for United States Cadet Nurse Corps information, write in care of Box 88, New York City. Now, if you can qualify, you'll do your country a great service and build yourself a future through the United States Cadet Nurse Corps. And don't forget the March of Dimes. Send your dimes and dollars now to help fight infantile paralysis. Come on, all right, all right. Let's have a We know that the four anonymous letters all came the same morning. They must all have been typed at the same time. We also know that in addressing the four envelopes, the writer typed a single character of some sort between the house number and the name of the street. And in all four cases, before mailing the letters, he erased that character. Now, what were those typewriter characters he put in and then took out? Were they different characters in each case? I'd say it was the same character in each case, because at least three of the four addresses were identical. 
The erasure occurs in exactly the same spot on the poor envelope. Right, Dad. So it was the same character. So what character was it, Elf? Let's figure it out together. What are the possibilities? Well, the erased character could have been a numeral. Like one, two, or six. Yes, or it could have been a letter of the alphabet. Like A, B, or X. Right, or it could have been a special mark. A dollar sign or a percent sign. Or any of the other special keys on a typewriter. Or finally, it could have been a punctuation mark. Now, the erasure in each case occurred just after the house number. Could the character have been a numeral? Oh, but that would mean that the writer originally typed the wrong house number, Ellery. One with four numbers instead of three, like 2305 instead of 230. Exactly, Nikki. But how could the writer have typed the wrong house number? You know, he was someone in 230 Hatton Avenue. He certainly knew his own address. So the erased character wasn't a numeral. Was it a letter of the alphabet? Might have been. The erasures are between the house number and the name of the street, so they could have been a wrong letter to start the name of the street. Don't be a fool, baby. Huh? If he knew his house number, then he knew the name of the street, too. Better. Dad's right, Sergeant. So the erased character wasn't a letter of the alphabet, either. Well, it certainly couldn't have been a dollar sign or a mark like that. No, Nicky. A special mark in that particular spot and an address would make no sense at all. Okay, so the character erased must have been a punctuation mark. The same punctuation mark. But... Which punctuation mark? Well, Dad, do we use punctuation marks after the street number in an address? We? Who's we? <laughs> we, the people. We, Americans. Americans? Certainly not. You mean there's countries where they do? Yes, Sergeant. In certain foreign countries, it's accepted practice to put a comma after the street number. For 230 Hatton Avenue, citizens of those countries would write, 230, Hatton Avenue. So I knew the erased characters must have been commas. If they'd been erased after typing them in... The writer realized they betrayed his foreign origin. Question. Who at 230 Hatton Avenue is not an American? Mr. Plunkett, a Yank. The Drayton's, Midwesterners. Miss Bertha Lamb, the American pioneers. Lewis Hodge, or Hodgkiss, born in Cincinnati, Ohio. Joe the janitor, born in Hester Street, New York City. Mrs. Lester, an American. Hubert Lester, her husband. An Englishman. Right, Nicky. Hubert Lester, in this country only six months. Not long enough to have broken himself of his English punctuation habit. So I knew it was Hubert Lester who wrote that letter to his wife, accusing himself of being untrue to her. But why, Maestro? Well, Sergeant, obviously Lester decided he'd made a serious error in marrying Mrs. Lester. And this was his devious way of getting her to divorce him, instead of giving her the actual grounds, which might have caused a scandal and the loss of his job. Then why did Lester send those letters to the other people in the house? Obviously dared to divert suspicion from himself. To make the writer seem to be someone of a diseased or disturbed mind, a chronic and indiscriminate mischief-maker. I imagine Lester had in mind putting the blame on Dr. Drayton's unhappy, neurotic 15-year-old daughter, a type often responsible for anonymous letters. Yes, Lester is a mischief-maker in this case, Dad, and I'm sure you can dig up some charge to make him pay for it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you have the solution to the mystery. I want to thank Miss Bean and Mr. Cusack for appearing as guest armchair detectives this evening. We have for both Miss Bean and Mr. Cusack a personal gift from Bromo Seltzer, also an autographed copy of my latest mystery anthology, The Female of the Species, and a subscription to Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine. Before Ellery gives us a preview of next week's mystery, friends, here's an important reminder from our famous talking train. Well, that's the ticket, all right. Fight headache three ways with Bromo Seltzer. After all, there's no point in relieving just the ache in your head if you're also suffering from jumpy nerves and upset stomach that may accompany a common sick headache. 
Bromo Seltzer, unlike some headache preparations, gives you the three-way relief you want. Quick relief from headache pain, fast help for jittery nerves, quick help for upset stomach. Now, Bromo Seltzer is pleasant, easy to take. You can take it while it's still fizzing or after it settles down. Use it only as directed on the label for persistent or recurring headaches. See your doctor. But when it's a common sick headache that has you feeling miserable, take this tip from our talking train. And now, Ellery Queen. Ladies and gentlemen, next week I promise you one of the most exciting and intriguing mysteries to date. I call it The Adventure of a Scarecrow and the Snowman. And don't forget the other great Romo Telsa show friends, Vox Pop, the show that travels America. Remember, Vox Pop, next Monday. Consult your local paper for the time and station. Music for the Adventures of Ellery Queen is by Charles Paul. This is Ernest Chappell reminding you to catch the Bromo Seltzer special again next week. Same time, same station. Bye, the headache. Three ways.